let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful gathered here and there out of love for you. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, I know you're keeping up with the news, aren't you? Uh, Molly Ivins used to say that the Texas legislature was the brethren and the cistern. May her memory be a blessing. Late last week, the Texas Senate passed a bill requiring the Ten Commandments to be displayed in every classroom in Texas. And while you may think that is unconstitutional, just last year the Supreme Court held that there isn't quite the separation of church and state that we think. So we're not sure whether this is law is going to be found un unconstitutional or not. Well, and, and, and what's really interesting to me is their insistence that the Ten Commandments that are placed in every classroom are the King James Version. Lord have mercy. Lord have mercy. There has been so much translation of the scripture since the King James Version. There's even a new King James Version, to be honest with you. Diana Butler Bass, writing in her blog this week, states the obvious. Christians often don't know what to do with the Ten Commandments. Indeed, Christian interpretations of the Ten Commandments are the source of much misunderstanding between Christians and Jews, which have contributed to anti-Semitism. So, since our passage of scripture for this morning begins with Jesus saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, well, it may be important that we take a look at that, right? It may be very important that we, as out of the, the beautiful, rich, historic vein of progressive Christianity, of reformed Christianity, in which God is still speaking and changing and the world is engaging with God, that we take a serious look at this. Um, when it comes to practicing Christianity, Christian dare not dismiss nor diminish the Ten Commandments. They are central to our story, and they are central to Jesus' vision and message. He was, after all, a Jewish rabbi. And the Hebrew scriptures were his Bible. Too often Christians think of uh, keep my commandments as to obey my commandments, right? Isn't that, isn't, isn't that kind of where your head went? That Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, if you obey my commandments, but actually... That's a misinterpretation. Because you see the word for keep in the Greek here, in our scripture today, doesn't mean obey. You know what it means? It means to continue in, to watch over, to attend to, to guard, to observe. Hear the passage again. If you love me, you will attend to my commandments. If you love me, you will guard my commandments. If you love me, you will watch over my commandments. 
If you love me, you will preserve my commandments. If you love me, you will care for my commandments. Has a different feel for it, doesn't it? A different kind of responsibility. And this interpretation points us back to the creation story, by the way, in which the story tells us God took the human and put them in the middle of the Garden of Eden to till and to keep it. Right? This isn't a moral requirement, but is a mandate, a commission, a commandment, a teaching given by God to humankind to attend to and care for the earth and all of creation. To keep is that which God bids us to do. And what God gives humanity the authority to do. So when Jesus tells the disciples, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, he is essentially pointing back to his Hebrew roots and the ancient story of his faith. To love God, found in Deuteronomy, and to love your neighbor, found in Leviticus. And he raises those up as what? The greatest commandments. When Jesus continues speaking to his disciples, we pick up where we left off last week. You see, Jesus has done this thing for the disciples. They're at a Passover meal, and Jesus has done this thing. He has washed their feet. You see, Jesus, in the midst of all their emotions about the conflicts with religious and government authorities that they are experiencing, and Jesus' predictions of his suffering and death, and his pronouncement that he will depart from them, he washes their feet. Now, we don't get the full picture of this. I, I'm, I mean, I've participated in foot washings before, but... But this is like, uh, we've been out at the state fair walking around in our sandals. <laughs> Y'all know what that feels like? You know what that is. You got dirty feet when you're done. Dirty, dirty, dirty. And Jesus, Jesus comes and kneels before you and washes your dirty feet. This is what this is. They've been on the road. They've been traveling. They wear open sandals. It's dusty. They have dirty feet. Such an intimate, tender, loving gesture. So loving. And then he begins to teach them because he's only got a little bit of time left. You know, he's got a little bit of time left with them and he knows it. And so he's trying to pack as much into it as he can for these whom he's hoping and praying will get it, finally get it. So he begins to teach about the truths of life and the promises of God. Having shared those final moments of personal connection with them by washing their feet, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. 
which isn't altogether an easy thing to do. You know that. It's not easy to do with your family. It's not easy to do with your family of choice, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your neighbors, with your enemies. not easy to do. But this is what Jesus asks. You see, Jesus won't allow them to be overwhelmed by their fear, and so he calls them back to life. On this last night with them, he is doing what he has been doing all along. In every single moment of his life and work. Love is the beginning of this scripture that we heard today. And love is the ending of this scripture that we hear today. The same can be said about the life of Jesus. Which begins in love at the beginning and he lived the way of love right up until the very end. Even love toward those who killed him. And that, by the way, that love didn't just disappear when he was no longer living alongside the disciples. That love didn't disappear when love is put out into the universe. It goes like electricity into the world. It doesn't disappear. It doesn't dissipate. Facing the end of his life, love is what he wants to live on after him. Love is the message Jesus gives to them. Love is Jesus' legacy. And not romantic love or brotherly love, a agape love, which is sacrificial love, open-hearted giving love, overwhelming love. And so, along with the commandments and the creation story, and along with this act of love that we are being called to, um, here she comes, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, he will give, he will ask God, and God will give the disciples another advocate to be with them forever which talks to us, doesn't it? Because we don't get the face of God in Jesus in his physical form. All we get is that Holy Spirit who will be with us forever, the advocate who will be with us forever. And oh, by the way, the Greek word for another, as in another advocate, in this passage is not heteros, which means another of a different kind, but alos, meaning another of the same kind. Which means that all the things Jesus has been for the disciples in the past, advocate, teacher, comforter, friend, the Holy Spirit will be for them and for us going forward. Advocate, teacher, comforter, friend, and so much more. Presence. So if Jesus has shown us the human face of God, Jesus has also shown us the human face of the Spirit of God. Could it be that Jesus is the outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace, the Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit? Maybe if we begin to see Jesus in, as the human face of the Holy Spirit, we would see what an advocate, teacher, comforter, and friend we have in her. 
you know, uh, I always think that the spirit has gotten the short stick. I mean, you know, at Christmas we are all about Jesus being born. At Easter we're all about Jesus being crucified and resurrected. And then comes Pentecost and we kind of go. <laughs> well, fortunately, I've been in churches now for almost 20 years that are all about Pentecost and all about the Holy Spirit coming because we know that this is the presence of God coming to us with us and if love is Jesus legacy then the world will know we are followers of Jesus the one who taught us to love or as the song goes they will know we are Christians by our love and I'm not talking just you know pious singing that song they'll know we are Christians by our love I'm talking about real deep down sacrificial love so that we don't hear ourselves saying oh see those Christians how they love one another <laughs> you know no it's not that it's a deep passionate love so given this commandment to love how then do we love this is hard this is hard right and it's complicated it's deeply deeply complicated so I want to talk about Jordan Neely for a moment Jordan Neely was in a stranglehold on a subway last week. And, and uh, what we didn't know, but we know now, is that he was on a list of unhoused people in New York City most at risk. In all of New York City, he was on a list most at risk. Now, I subscribe to the anti-racism daily, and I love, I, I used to just get the summary on the weekend, but I'm getting the thing every day because every time I read it, I learn something new from a different perspective. And uh, in the article, in one of the articles this week, Andrew Lee wrote that, uh, so I didn't know this, that cities across the United States have criminalized giving food to unhoused people. That you can get arrested, you can get a ticket, you can get in trouble for giving, without a, a, without a program or without a, a, a permission to give food to hungry people. And what Andrew Lee says is, damn, if somebody's hungry and they're saying I'm starving, give them something to eat. Oh, man, you know, I had no idea. And I don't, I don't want to talk about the stranglehold and all the business going on with that. Uh, you know, he lost his life because he was hungry and hangry. And he had every right to be. And Lee points out that those laws that prevent us from feeding hungry people worsen poverty and create further polarization. And we take, uh, and we must take direct action by feeding our neighbors collectively. We can love our unhoused neighbors. Now, what does it mean then to love and keep the commandments and the teachings of Jesus? I, I failed at it this week. I went to take Zachy to the vet for his annual checkup. And, um, and uh, on my way back, there was a man, a tall man, standing in the middle of the road. And his knee was bandaged in a big white bandage. And he was clearly poor. 
And of course, I got the red stoplight. And there he is looking at me, looking directly at me and going, You know, I love my mother, but she raised me to be a little wary of tall African-American men standing in the middle of the road. And so I just kept my head turning straight on and drove away. And I got home, and then I read the article. And I thought, I need to get back in the car. I need to go find that guy because he just needs something to eat. You know? So I, I don't need to tell you what to do. I, I don't want to tell you what to do. What I want to say is love is hard. Deeply passionate love for strangers, for enemies, for even our family members and friends is hard. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to keep that commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves and our God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? And that's going to be work for us, a lot of work for us. But you know what? There's no way we can do it. Except for the Holy Spirit. Who teaches us, forgives us when we keep driving, looking straight ahead and driving. Who is with us, whispering, murmuring to us, reminding us that Jesus said to love is the greatest commandment. So Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis, who's the lead pastor at the Middle Church in New York City, a church that burned down, she is just brilliant. If you haven't heard her preach, please go online and listen to her. She's, she was telling about how she experienced the death of her mother and the continued experience of that loss on her. So it turns out the month of April is a really hard month for her. Not only does it mark her mother's birthday and wedding anniversary, but also the day of her death, and mixed in with all of that, of course, is Easter and Mother's Day, right? All of that in there. So Jackie talked about how April was a super painful month for her. And she talked about also that she has never felt more faith in the resurrection than she does now. She says this, I feel like I feel her all the time. She's here. I feel her all the time, and I also feel her absence. I can smell her and almost feel the arthritis in her hands. I can feel my mother's hands that were so soft. It's strange, but it's true, she says. And she explained that it's not like she's trying to go back when her mother was alive. It's that she is going forward with her mother in a new way. And in an intimate way that couldn't happen if she were still here. Her mother is accompanying her as she moves forward in life, right? And as difficult as her grief is over her mother, she, is also, she also appreciates that she knows her in a new way. In a way where there is nothing between them. This is what it is to be made new. To be made new in the presence of one who has gone before us. In the presence of Jesus, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, in the presence of those we have loved and who are 
who are a part of the church triumphant. And I feel the same way about my mom, Mama Jo. And if them, then isn't that how it is with Jesus too? The Holy Spirit is with us. God, our creator, is with us. And more than that, is within us. You know, in Genesis, in the first chapter, it says, so God created humans in God's own image. The image of God, they were created. That's you and me. We are created in the image and likeness of God. And then Paul's letter to the church of the Colossians says, the mystery that has been hidden throughout the ages and generations has now been revealed to the saints. Oh, by the way, that's us. <laughs> I know you don't think of yourself as a saint, but that's us. We're all saints. We're children of God. Has been revealed to the saints, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery that has been revealed. Christ is in you. God is in you. Creator, Christ, Spirit is in you. This is the promise of God with us. Now and into eternity. God is in you. And you can call on that at any moment of your living. Just as you call on those who have gone before you. This is the good news of the gospel. Thanks be to God. Amen.